Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making other people healthier in this world. And I'm really enthused and excited to have on the show today, James Kinsella. So James is a partner over at D4 Investments. James is a serial entrepreneur. He just had a latest exit of over 2.3 billion US. Uh, the most important thing uh, that I love about James is his passion for health. He has a very vast background that I'm not gonna steal the thunder from. Uh, James, welcome to the show. Thank you, glad to be here. Absolutely. Great to have you on. Great that you can peel off time to do this with me and to share your story with our listeners. And along those lines, I'd love for you to teleport me back. Teleport us back to um, maybe the series of events that went on through your life, through your professional and personal career. Uh, highlight for us a little bit your origin story and what led you to become the person you are today. Sure. So uh, you introduced me as a tech entrepreneur, which is true, which is what I've done for the last 20 years of my life or so. But uh, before that, um, I started my life as a journalist. And part of that life was spent as a foreign correspondent. And one of the things I did was to try to find the origin story of HIV, which had me um, go to Francophone Africa and specifically Rwanda, where many people believe the HIV uh, virus had moved from um, to from monkeys to to humans um, many 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 decades ago. Uh, so I, I that's why I began. That led when I came back um, eventually to me doing a fellowship at Columbia University where I wrote a book. Um, and the book essentially was not on the science or the technology of HIV, but essentially HIV is a social meme. That is. How did HIV really get into the consciousness of America and the rest of the world? And so I became a bit fixated on how science and tech, in fact, developments in science and tech, become popularized and become understood and acted upon. Mm. Mm. No, I, I, I love it. I love it, James. And, you know, what I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, so... From where you started off to where you're at today, a lot has you know really transpired in this area from a social perspective, pharmaceutical perspective. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you know catch us up you know on this phenomenon and, and what's happened here? Uh, catch us up and what's happening in this area today, and what opportunities do you see from you know maybe communication of, of what's happening here, what's happened, treatments. What's new? You know, it, it's it's pretty fascinating that you know I lost a cousin to to HIV and AIDS um, in um, the nine. Actually, it was the late '80s, and so I've always been very interested to hear on what happened and what's happening now. So maybe you can give us a, a little bit of a catch up on what's what should be the the, the new mental model. Sure. So I'll do two catch ups. One is personally, how did I get out of being a a journalist into mm -hmm. a entrepreneur, and I have to say the HIV story was a big impetus. Mm -hmm. Like a uh, lot of people, I had friends dying um, around, mm. me. and I realized that yes, I could write about these kinds of things, or I could actually think about 
the way in which we more radically and more quickly changed the world, and that was through technology. So eventually I left my uh, job as a newspaper editor um, and I started my first company, which was a web-based, one of the world's first web-based companies called TIS. Mm. Uh, I followed technology from that period largely um, by driving my own tech companies, including founding MSNBC, the digital side of MSNBC as president of MSNBC at Microsoft. So my focus began on the technology and I carried that through and until today. I think at the same time, what was happening with the science of, of HIV was fascinating. Much of what we understand about how we get sick in the 21st century um, comes from understanding what was learned about HIV and um, so many, many discoveries were made. I think one of the most compelling things that um, was discovered was in the, so your your cousin died in the 80s um, when treatments were really beginning to be developed. Mm. At least as exciting is in fact the discovery of a, of a, of a drug that could prevent the spread of HIV. Mm-hmm. And um, that has become, since that time in the late 1970s, and after a lot of tortuous uh, effort, has finally become something that people now uh, begin to use to, are beginning to use to actually prevent HIV. It's called PrEP. Um, it's a prophylaxic for, for infection. And as long as you take it every day, you have an extremely good chance of never being infected with the HIV virus. Mm. So, although we failed, the medical community has yet to discover a cure for HIV, which with all the discoveries that the medical community has made, very impressive discoveries they've made, they haven't found yet a cure for HIV, and it may not happen in our lifetime. But the treatments are very good, and I think most exciting, there is a very good method by which we can prevent HIV in the world. Mm. And despite the fact that that method is more than 20 years old, it is being used extremely sparingly across the world and even in the U.S. where it was discovered. Mm. Mm. Now this is this is great, and, and thank you for walking me through kind of you know how you from the from the journal side to the technology side, and and you know how you've been following along this phenomenon. It's interesting that you know this prevention method, what you're mentioning, has been around for quite some time. What what's the difference that makes a difference in in having this prevention drug and method? being more widely adopted, disseminated, used? I mean, what, what's the difference that makes a difference here? And, and maybe what, are there any, are there any um, you know, mechanisms that need to be in place from a distribution standpoint, cost perspective? What are the factors that, that need to be in place for this to, to be a thing? So let me talk about the positive first. And the positive is that, okay. in fact, if it's used every day by a person to prevent HIV, of course, you would only give it to somebody who is in a high-risk category. Mm. Men who have sex with men or women who have sex with men who have sex with men, mm-hmm. um, needle users, etc. 
there is a there's a way to think about this that the World Health Organization uses, and that is in a given if somebody lives in a uh, city or in an urban area or in an area that has greater than three percent incidence of HIV, they live in a high risk. They're in a high risk community. Mm. So it's a quite broad category, and and the because we know that men who have sex with men don't always just have sex with men. Mm-hmm. Um, are women who uh, women can be easily infected easily infected by men um, who have sex with men, etc. And drug users um, can bring the uh, bring the disease into their own family. We know all this is the case. That is hard to pinpoint the person, but you can pinpoint the geographic region to target to say. We need to we need to be focused on prevention efforts there. If in fact you if in fact you do use something like prep, um, largely uh, largely um, described by Truvada as the drug um, mm-hmm. Gilead at the moment, um, although there are other methodologies, um, the the it, it, you can in fact stop the incidence and spread of HIV because those people who are already infected, if they are effectively being treated, also radically diminish the risk of spreading HIV. Somebody who's being treated for HIV with modern treatment in the Western world and in, in throughout the world today has an extremely low chance of spreading their disease to anybody else because the drugs essentially bring their viral load to an, an, an insignificant amount for transmission of that disease. So if you are being treated, if you have HIV and you are being treated, or if you do not have HIV, but you run the risk of being treated, if you are put on on PrEP, if you do not have HIV and you're put on PrEP and you have HIV and you're being treated, you can kill the epidemic quite rapidly because Mm. then all the vectors for spreading that, that HIV, go away. The biggest problem with this is money. So PrEP costs on the on the the unreduced market or undiscounted market about twenty four thousand dollars a year in the United States. Mm. However, that's still cheaper than a lifelong treatment of HIV, which can run as much as forty thousand in the United States. Of course, you probably know drugs cost more in the United States than any place else in the world because the U.S. government has dictated in its wisdom that. The U.S. government itself, providing services through Medicare, et cetera, cannot negotiate the price of drugs, mm. uh, which doesn't happen, of course, in the U.K., Europe, any place else, including South Africa, but it does happen here. So nonetheless, a, a, a big important thing happened um, uh, last year where the U.S. government said, decided that the U.S. Prevention Task Force decided that if you, in fact, are in a high-risk uh, demographic that, and you had private health insurance, that that private health insurance had to treat your risk factor as a pre-existing condition, and you, your, you could get your uh, PrEP, again, that can cost at an undiscounted rate about 24000 a year, mm. you get that paid for. So that's a big 
um, uh, important change. But of course, that only captures about 50% of the people in the United States who happen to be on private health insurance. Mm-hmm. There is a huge population, that is the rest of Americans, who aren't in that situation. And thus, we have done a very poor job of offering this prevention tool, which we know to be extremely effective to those people who are most at risk. Mm. There's a more, there, there is in some ways a more horrific aspect of this whole HIV prevent, prevention and, and attack of the HIV epidemic, and that is... In the U.S., only about half the population that actually is infected with HIV are being treated for HIV, mm-hmm. which means that the other 50% are spreading HIV or could be spreading HIV if they are uh, engaging in, in risky activities. Mm-hmm. So, we're, we, so there's two things that have to be done to reach this target that has been talked about um, uh, in the U.S. of ending the HIV epidemic by 2030. Mm. We have the tools. It's not as though we need to come up with new ways to do it. One, everybody who's infected in the United States needs to be on treatment. And everybody who is at risk for getting HIV needs to have easy access to HIV, to PrEP. What does that mean? It means that both should be free in this country. It's the most it's the most basic and one of the most positive and powerful public health expenditures we could make. The mm. big debate among Democrats right now about whether in fact everybody should have Medicare. Right. Uh, I think that's an unwinnable argument in 2019 and 2020, but what I think is should be doable is let us attack pernicious problems that have solutions now and work mm-hmm. with HIV. And we can do that for providing to the extent possible meds to everyone who needs them both to prevent and to treat HIV. Mm. Mm. No, it's, it's fascinating, uh, James. And um, so you're really talking about like about roughly, you know, half, so 150 or so million uh, Americans not covered um, you know, and offering it free to them. What are the underlying potential economics or, or or things or systems that need to be in place to offer it for free? I mean, who needs to, you know, be okay with this? And what are the underlying economics of, of, of doing such? Um, I mean, assuming that this is kind of like a predecessor to a Medicare for all, if that, you know, turns to work out. But yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts about just, you know, how do you, how do we go from, um, this makes sense to, to becoming, you know, some sort of social norm, you know? So I, I think, I think a couple of things. One, it's not as though, um, if you take the South African model, and I know mm-hmm. Americans don't like to look at anybody else beyond us, Gilead, uh, the, the provider of the producer of the drug Truvada, which is the key drug in the, which is PrEP and mm-hmm. for most people. Um, Truvada is PrEP and it's, it's created by Gilead. Um, Gilead provides this to South Africa at a radically, radically reduced price that it does um, in the United States. Mm-hmm. I think one of the first things we do is simply do the simple thing that both Republicans, Democrats say they want, and that is to stop this prohibition for the U.S. Mm-hmm. For, for the U.S. from negotiating drug prices. Private insurance companies 
do that. They actually negotiate uh, drug prices, which is why if you're in private health insurance and you have been given PrEP, your private health insurer is not paying $24,000 a year. They have negotiated with Gilead for a mm-hmm. dramatically less expensive um, uh, less expensive uh, solution here. Mm-hmm. It's the same drug. It's the same effectiveness, but it's at a fraction. And when I mean a fraction, I mean dollars a month rather than two thousand dollars a month wow that's doable and in fact gilead still gilead has made a ton of money from truvada Mm -hmm. Um, i i I don't pretend i I, i'm a capitalist and i believe in capitalist models but Mm -hmm. i don't think that the united states is in the very very unhealthy position of being the money bags for the rest of the world and providing extraordinary margin to drug companies. And that's exactly what's happening with Gilead and Truvada. Gilead has woken up and they are saying that we have, and there's lots of ways in which Gilead provides it more cheaply. But mm-hmm. I would say, rather than say that, that it all should be free, I think it should be means tested. That is, if you can't afford it, and you're not on insurance, you will get it for maybe not for free, but you'll get it for something similar to the cost of what it is offered to every South African right now. Mm -hmm. Um, That is some tens of dollars a month rather than $2,000 a month. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is not a money losing proposition for Gilead. Um, are for the, the that is the manufacturers of Truvada, um, but it does change the economics of the of that for them, and I think that's reasonable. There's 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 a Truvada has been based on a lot of work that has been funded by the United States government into HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to get this at the same price uh, that it is offered uh, around the world is a is a is a big first step. How we pay for it? Well, that that question is radically reduced if, in fact, we're paying the same amount that everybody else is paying. Right. Likewise, the same is true for HIV treatment. One of the biggest reasons why, the, in fact, the single biggest reason why people don't get treated for HIV is that they don't know they have HIV. Mm-hmm. And they don't know they have, have HIV because they don't get tested. They don't get tested because they're not generally going to the doctor. So basic... that's the Medicare for all answers that, but the Medicare for all solution is unlikely to be a solution, quite frankly, in the next four to six years. Right. Um, And so in the meantime, how do we actually find people who are infected? And one way to do that is very basic annual checkup, which doesn't mean uh, the entire Medicare solution for all health problems, but it does mean that somebody is seeing a doctor. Mm-hmm. Now, if they see a doctor and they are diagnosed with HIV, then there must be a very cost-effective way to provide them treatment. What we're doing, Anthony, right now is something that is unconscionable. About half the people in the United States who are infected with the disease either don't know they have it or they may know they have it, but they can't afford treatment. So they remain able to infect. Mm. That is a outrageous number when you compare it to the United Kingdom, for example, mm-hmm. where almost everybody who is almost everybody with HIV has been diagnosed with HIV, and almost everyone who's been diagnosed is being treated. Mm. It means that the spread of HIV in the United Kingdom has plummeted. 
We know this works. We mm -hmm. have very good examples of allies of ours around the world who do this already. We are not leading the pack at all. We are a very distant follower. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. There's a that. This is awesome. So this there's a lot of pieces there, and it definitely makes sense. And it's almost like you know using this as a as a case study as an example of of uh, you know a scenario that could fuel justification for. Medicare for all, knowing that that's, that's a little bit off in the distance, not too far away, but still far away enough that, you know, there's still an opportunity to act now to, to save a lot of lives, right? And just this one scenario. Um, so a couple of things, I appreciate you laying out the economics and the supply and demand side of how this works from all the way from the, the pharmaceutical side. Um, say we're in the operation side of, okay, this, this has been okay. The economics get figured out. How does this start to become a social norm of prevention? Um, and then on your latter point too, obviously, you know, we got to make sure people see doctors. You got to make sure people can afford treatment once they have it. But I guess on the first piece, how do you how do you make it a social norm if the economics can be worked out? And you know, is this something that when people are going to their doctor, there's a set of questions that are asked and then it's prescribed to them? Or how do you see that um, disseminating? And are there certain states or areas or demographics or scenarios that should be focused on more from a marketing and distribution standpoint. So sorry, I know that's 17 questions in one. I'm just, I'm just intrigued to understand um, implementation potential. You know? So if, yeah. what I would, and I think I understand the, the general import of the collection of questions, but the, right. I guess I would answer it by say, walk down the street of San Francisco or Seattle. Right. And if you do that, you will see all sorts of signs, advertisements from Gilead or mm. from distribution centers talking about Truvada. Mm. In fact, if you watch, um, if you watch some news programs, uh, cable news programs, you'll find very handsome uh, uh, people, young people um, having a great time with life and not being afraid of HIV. Why? Because, hey, there's a solution. It's called PrEP. So I think we already have this target of positive sort of memes around this. And all we need to do is look at the adverts. What are they doing? They're making PrEP look kind of cool. Mm. In mm. prevention of HIV, not a horrendous and frightful and scandalous thing. They're making it prevention of HIV look like fun mm. and it's a that i think because we know from from anybody who's studied public policy issues and how they actually transform behavior if you can replace a thing a negative thing with a positive thing that has hugely stronger impact and it's much more rapid impact on right. behavior than simply than simply saying just say no right the Just Say No campaign was a failure. Right. Because it's based in fear, a negative, a negative context, yeah. Exactly. But if yeah. you say, hey, you know what? Uh, here's, how to, to, here's how to keep your life fun. And if you look at these adverts, they've been done by very, very professional agencies. So I wouldn't suggest, you know, that I'm not a marketer. I'm a guy who sells and builds and sells technology. So, so my, I, I'm much more interested in solutions than I am in how to how to make a snappy advertisement and how to make a cool commercial. 
I, however, we, we have the evidence. We know how to do this. We know we, there's many decades of, of public policy research that, that shows us how to make this happen. And it's all captured in these billboards. Mm-hmm. So for, I think we've got the technology. We even have the ability with social media and others to, to like never before distribute positive social means. Mm-hmm. change behavior. We know how this works. This is nothing new. Most importantly, Anthony, as a technologist, mm-hmm. we have the technology. Mm-hmm. We actually don't need to discover anything else to stop this epidemic. Right. And right. I talked to some of the doctors, particularly the doctors who were young when I was young, who got into HIV research because they thought we can stop this epidemic. Mm-hmm. So many of them are angry and some of them are bitter that we have the tools, we have the technology. Mm-hmm. Much of it developed by U.S. universities paid for by U.S. taxpayers. So we have the, we have the technology. All we seem to lack is the will to actually stop the, an epidemic, even though we also know we even have the marketing tools to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it, James. Yeah, no, it's so so important, and um, it, it's it's fascinating. You know why we go this far as a society. You know, without you know having this in place, feels like the right pieces are, are in place. So obviously, on um, the are, are starting to be in place because I do see the ads on TV. It feels like the TV ad campaigns are getting. They're easy to disseminate more to the, the, the millennial and zennial channels, of course, and social media. Names uh, to the second piece of, and that's where I want to understand, I might have missed it, but when you're saying that the people that get diagnosed and that half of them can't afford um, treatment, is there a certain drug manufacturer that, that, that supports the treatment aspect of it? And are you recommending there that that should be, the cost of that should be matching you know, the lowest cost of like in, in, in other countries as well. I wasn't under real understand those trace for me. What's the solution there to make the treatment element? Well, first of all, you're saying primary care, annual visit to get diagnosed and then making sure those that get diagnosed have cost effective treatment solutions. We have for me what, what you're proposing there or what you'd like to see happen there. Yeah. So on that, on that side, if you are, if you, um, are diagnosed in the United States with HIV and you happen to have private insurance or you're on Medicare, mm-hmm. um, your drug will be paid for mm. or you will be treated. However, if you are, if you are not insured, um, there is a, and, and if you're not insured and you're diagnosed through, let's say a government supported government funded county hospital, in most major cities in the United States, you will also make your way to some program where the drugs are going to be of minimal cost, certainly reduced cost. I think we, in fact, before Medicare for all, etc., we even have a, a solution that in practice works, but works in a, in a bad and, and inefficient way. That is, you've got to get yourself into the public health system if you're not on Medicare, if you're not over mm-hmm. You've got to get yourself into that system and you get that to yourself into that system. Unfortunately, when generally when you are very, very ill and you walk into the emergency room of a, of a, of a county hospital, 
And then if you get into that county hospital, you're very typically put into, a, if you're diagnosed with HIV, you're very typically put into a program where actually the drugs are, are reasonable. That is, generally you can afford those drugs. But you've got to get to that point generally that you're so ill that you show up in an emergency room. So I think that the the missing part of this, if you're on private health insurance, tick in the box, you're covered. And unless they do away with pre-existing conditions, that means you're going to be you're going to be covered. Medicare, mm. the same. There's a price differential, by the way. It turns out that your private insurer is going to pay substantially less than the me- Medicare. That is right. taxpayers because Medicare can't negotiate price. price right. Whereas your private insurer is absolutely negotiating prices. <laughs> right. Private insurer will get it for a radically discounted price, not forty thousand, but but less than one tenth of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Medicare is still paying forty thousand for it. But if you go through that through the hospital system, if you're poor and you wind up in emergency room, again, you for you you'll be paying um, a, a minimal or nominal fee that makes it affordable. My issue is there is this group of people who will only show up in that county hospital when they are in the emergency room because they are so sick with some infectious disease brought about by, by, uh, um, by being immunosuppressed because of HIV. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, we know that, that we can target that group and say, how do we actually get that group? That's the trickiest group to get. They don't have any money, so they are not seeing a doctor, and they're not about to see a doctor because that's going to cost money. Mm-hmm. And so we need to we need to 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 tackling that. It seems to me is a focus very specifically on making certain that those people are provided with some free service that gets them into a checkup at least once a year mm. so that they can be a, a series of blood tests. It's what everyone does when they go for a checkup. And so they, they can be detected early and that we have some kind of program similar to the one at the county, county hospitals that actually get people treated with HIV at affordable rate. Mm. So mm. I think the missing piece in this is although Medicare and the expense of Medicare is horrendous, nonetheless, there's a solution for somebody over 65. Private health insurance, they've actually sorted out the cost of this stuff. And their, their response is, we're going to negotiate with Gilead, or we're going to negotiate with all the other drug companies that produce, provide these, these HIV treatment and, and PrEP drugs. Mm-hmm. But there is the most troubling bit is that if you don't have enough money and you don't have private insurance, and you don't have Medicare, and you end up in a county hospital, you're actually there because you're really sick. Mm-hmm. And you're really sick, and your HIV load makes you highly infectious. Mm-hmm. How do we actually begin to, to begin to address not just HIV, but lots of chronic health problems that could actually be prevented or mitigated by early intervention by giving, by by in, instituting a notion of basic health checkups, right? At least a yearly basis for those people who generally can't afford it. Yeah, no, James, it's super powerful. I mean, beyond super powerful, right? This is about you know saving lives on a on a mass scale by you know relatively at a high level or some 
some important course corrections to 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 have this prevention concept disseminated right we're really talking about you know saving a lot of lives and so it's 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 beyond fascinating and you're on your your last point there on how this could apply to other chronic conditions as you know i mean in seattle and in san francisco here um there's a there's a big new surge of of, of people professionals millennials wanting to slow the aging process and so you're starting to hear and see a lot of people take things like formatin and Respiritol and everyone's fasting now, intermittent fasting, and, and so it's good to see this, you know, emerging. I guess, do you see um, the same the same mechanisms and proposal and implementation you you, you want to see happen in this area with the pharmaceutical companies and the cost? Do you see other chronic conditions or other scenarios or other drugs being a, other relative, you know, scenarios of this like pre Medicare for all or a use case that could support? you know, aligning, you know, prevention medicine that's inexpensive, you know, and aligning that to, to ailments of our society. Do you see any other areas of opportunity? Yeah. So the one, the, the, the most common one for somebody my age mm-hmm. um, is the emergence of the um, cholesterol controlling drug called simvastatin. Statins mm-hmm. have, so in, so I, I'm, both a U.S. citizen by birth, but also a, a British citizen, um, because I built two companies there over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are my age and you walk in with any kind of elevated cholesterol, you are immediately prescribed by the National Health Service of the United Kingdom, Simvastatin. Mm-hmm. So, so Simvastatin is a, a very, very effective way to help one control cholesterol and also to, to help avoid eventually heart attacks. I think, quite frankly, heart attacks might very well become in our my lifetime, and not to mention your lifetime, mm-hmm. uh, may become a rarity until somebody is well into their 90s mm-hmm. because of simple drugs, simple, very cheap drugs. They're also very cheap here, by the way. There's no way you can charge lots of money for a simvastatin because they're in the public domain uh, already. That those simple little solutions can will are radically transforming our expectations of how we die, mm-hmm. and I think that's a that's very powerful. I think the biggest challenge isn't um, will not be heart attacks and and many cancers, which I think will be treatable. Some are treatable now and and will be treatable i think the biggest challenge for your generation certainly mine is the lack of, of mental acuity and specifically dementia and alzheimer's anybody over the age of 30 percent of, of of anyone over the age of 90 is is there's 30 percent of that population is thought to have some form of dementia or alzheimer's that is one out of Three out of every ten um, people who reach the age of ninety will, in fact, have some form of those. Why is that? Well, it's not as though we don't know. It's not as it's it's we 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 know what causes it, right? We know these plaque builds up, or we know many of the we know many of the things that are that come with dementia and Alzheimer's. We we don't have solutions to them yet. But I think that when we when we actually begin to unlock those secrets and we have prevention and treatment, 
or maybe prevention for your generation and treatment for mine, mm -hmm. that's going to be one of the most radical transformations of our culture. Right. It will mean that old age doesn't mean senility. Mm -hmm. And that is good in a, in a, in a, uh, in a world where we're going to need hands on deck to do things, including for elderly people to care for themselves. We have an elderly care system that does not scale right now. Right. To figure out how to deal with that. The best way to deal with it is to say, make the elderly independent longer. And the way to deal with that is the way to do that is to figure out prevention and treatment for things like Alzheimer's and dementia. Mm. That's my big hope, and that's where I think the, the future is. My frustration with HIV is the same is is the same reason why I'm hopeful about prevention and treatment for Alzheimer's and dementia. We've got the technology for HIV. We know this. We know how to prevent and treat HIV. Mm -hmm. That's the thing we know. The technology, without the technology, there are no answers. Why I'm mm -hmm. a technologist, and this is why I became a technology entrepreneur. If you got those answers, and if it's just a matter of money and implementation, that can be figured out by people of, of the will and means. James, this is powerful. Yeah, no, and I appreciate you illustrating because I'm sure, though I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you, I think our other listeners are listening to this episode, probably have never had a full end-to-end -end illustration of one use case and example that, you know, represents a significant opportunity. Obviously, since, you know, your, your book that you wrote um, a while back now, which was an award-winning book, you know, and from what transpired now, you follow this story, right? And so, um, and now it's, uh, now it's an important time in progression in society that, you know, we take a stand for, you know, the right things and put mechanisms in place that can apply to, you know, so many other conditions and chronic conditions in the Tashiki world. And so, um, I guess, um, you know, I know we talked about the future of healthcare as well. Is there, as we kind of end off the, um, you know, the interview here, one, I want to be sensitive to your time, but when you think of the future of healthcare, is there anything else, uh, according, you know, the future of healthcare or the future of health, according to James, anything else you, you see happening or would love to see happen? Yeah, I think that people taking very personal responsibility for their health. Mm. Um, that mm. I think is obvious, but it's it's often overlooked. And I think the way that people take personal responsibility for their health is just just get habits that are healthy habits. Mm -hmm. um, you know, ten years ago, I had what I was diagnosed as a, a, um, a, a something for which I needed spinal surgery. Um, and I couldn't wrap my head around that. I knew many people who had had back surgery and the problem worsened or didn't go away. Um, I think there, the, 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 uh, the, uh, chance of, of your being cured by back surgery is far from 90%. Um, so I started doing yoga. Mm. And yoga was transformative for me, literally transformative. I think it changed my back um, and made me feel healthier and happier and mm. more productive. But that started with a, a crisis and a habit that I started and do every day. Um, mm. And so I think I, for me, it's, 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 a, it's a healthy habit that doesn't need to be the same for everybody. Right. Um, but doing, if you do a thing that you know is injurious to yourself, but you really, really like to do it, 
So let's say eating ice cream, um, rather than, than say, you're a fool for eating ice cream, you need to stop doing that. Figure out whether there is some substitute for eating ice cream um, that makes you feel good, whether it be something you consume physically or something that you do. And I think, um, but, but people adopting habits that are re- good habits that are replacements for bad habits that are enjoyable to do. Is one of the things that I would really love to see adopted by people all ages, but that I see um, is is something that can be transformative. Mm, mm. No, I love it, and I'm right there with you. And you know, you're starting to see also, you know, uh, society and, and the younger generations uh, have such a, an obsession and affinity for, for well-being and you're starting to see this resurgence or resurge, you know, happen for, for, for good things that are kind of holistic. And so it's kind of like, it feels like we're, it's return of the hippie, right? Where all the, all the hippie concepts are coming full circle, but they're rationalized by science um, now. But uh, in addition to yoga, obviously everything affects everything. James, any other habits that you acquired over the years of growing and selling companies and, and staying resilient? Uh, what else do you do to, to stay healthy? I work out with weights. Nice. Weight lifting is a thing that is so deeply enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, and even as an old guy, as I am, <laughs> uh, the ability to push metal around Yes, is 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 both satisfying, but also um, being able to feel my muscles work uh, yes. is is fundamentally important. I think you see a lot of people who, and some of the worst offenders are are former high school and and college athletes mm-hmm. um, who forget that their body needs work. And, right. Um, so I the the two things I do on a daily basis are um, yoga every morning and some form of weight training um, every evening. Afternoon. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah, and you know, anytime I go go a day or two without doing both, uh, I know I feel it as I'm talking to you here. I'm staring at my little lemon yoga mat that I <laughs> that my office mates get to see me do yoga middle middle of the day. And they're like, "What is Anthony doing?" But um, I also think you know on a somewhat different topic. I think that there are so many things. It's an incredibly it's an incredible time. There are big threats like global warming. And, uh, and you know the rise of, of, of totalitarianism. In fact, but I think mm-hmm. at the same time, um, it's an amazing time to be young um, because uh, with the rise of, of everything from cannabis to mm-hmm. new ways of thinking about the world, I think can be transformative. Um, mm-hmm. If, if for no other reason, getting young people or getting people out of jail for, for the use of, of um, something that is, in fact, less harmful than alcohol. Mm-hmm. I, think we, I think that we're at a moment in time, not just in the, in the health sphere, but in our country, where we're coming to a reckoning where hopefully we will make right decisions. Hopefully, you guys will. You guys want. I mean, you guys. I mean, millennials and younger make the right decision mm-hmm. about, about where we need to go. I love it, James. I'm right there with you, and I, I, I fully support. And I'm right there with you. It's a fun time, exciting time to be alive, exciting time 
um, in health. And it's, 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 uh, it's fascinating to see what's happening. So uh, I guess a couple of things, my very last question for you, James, is uh, connecting with you. So if our listeners on social media, um, you know, want to reach out to you on social media or directly, or if you'd like any of that to happen, what would be a good way to uh, connect with you, James? I'm James Kinsella on LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, James, this has been great for you to be on to share your story, your work, your passion uh, for this topic, but laying out very practical um, strategies, tactics, and illustrating the economics of what can happen and how this can you know, be super profound. So I love the formula. I'm pretty obsessed with the concept now of what you've laid out. And I'm sure our listeners are too, so I'm sure people will reach out. Um, you know, give you some, some social media high fives for sure. Um, James, love to have you back on as you work on further things. Congratulations on the growth and success of your career and your impact that you've had through your ventures and through um, your projects that you work on. And so, uh, and this was, this was great. And to our listeners out there, this is the Pop Health Show. The show's for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. Uh, James, again, thank you so much for peeling off time to do this. And uh, this was fun. Thank you. Great. Great pleasure, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you.